Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Audio Judo. Uh, my name's Kyle. And I'm Matthew. Welcome. Yes. We got some old business? Yeah, let's, let's talk do that about right it. off the bat. Well, I don't know when this is going to be airing. This could be airing in June or sometime, so I feel like it's just business again. Not it, old or new, it's just business. Just business. I'm going to go with my typical, how is everything going out there? I hope everyone is being safe and taking all the necessary precautions. Yeah. Um, as of this recording, Kyle and Randy and I have been out of our jobs for five weeks. Yeah. And we are ready to get back to it, but we're trying to make the most of it at this point. Um, finally got the merch set up. Sweet. Um, the website called T Public. We uh, got a partnership with them. So you uh, can go to audiojudo.com. On the left-hand side, there is a link to our shop for uh, T Public. And you can get uh, T-shirts, mugs, magnets, stickers, all kinds of stuff with your favorite podcast logo. Sweet. So I suggest going there and buying some stuff and give it as uh, gifts or just to, you know, just to have around the house and look at it fondly. Today, we're pleased to welcome back Canadian recording artist and a friend of the podcast, Daniel Indeed. Victor from the band Never Ending White Lights. Uh, if you are new to audio judo, welcome. Daniel joined us uh, back in November and we thought it would be fun to have him back. And instead of talking about his future plans, uh, we'd talk about his first record and his beginnings. Uh, so today he joins us to do just that. So today we are talking about the first never-ending white lights record, Goodbye Friends of the Heavenly Bodies. So we are pleased to be joined right now by Daniel Victor. Hey Daniel, how's it going? Good. How are you? Excellent. Kyle's here. Hello, how's it going? Kyle, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Hey, thanks so much for joining us again. It's great to have you back. I, I'm I'm pumped to do it. How's the quarantine treating you? 
Uh, we, we were just talking about that. We've both been uh, we've both been out of work for like five weeks. Yeah, it's uh, oh, it's surreal. Yeah, very strange. You've been to the strip before, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a ghost town. It's very, <laughs> very strange. Everything is uh, chained closed because most of the doors don't have locks on them, so it looks like it's completely abandoned. So it looks like a movie set, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about you? You wow. uh, staying home, uh, staying safe? <laughs> Well, I like to joke with my friends that I invented the quarantine like 10 years ago (laughs) when I stopped, uh, you know, touring and making records. Um, I hadn't really left my studio space much in literally, you know, the past five, six, seven years. Uh, I've just been a bit of a homebody just doing a lot of um, just creative work and personal work. Sure. You know, so my life's kind of blurred together for a while in that sense where there's like there's no real you know, set a time to be anywhere or do anything. So I kind of live that way. And I just kind of do what I feel uh, I should be drawn to in the moment. You know, if it's something to socially, I do it. If it's something just, you know, internally, I do it. So I, and I don't believe in time either. So just kind of a, like a, a present moment vibe. Sure. So I kind of live in that headspace. So a lot of my friends are like, oh, you know, what you, can you give us some advice? Because we're going nuts here because we're so used to being places and doing things. Um, I guess it's hard for people to just kind of like, you know, chill and not have to go anywhere. It's one of those things that so many people think about and they're like, oh, if I just didn't have to go to work or if I just didn't have to go to school or, or whatever for so long. And then when you put them in that position, after like three days, they're all going nuts. Like, I got to get back to work. I got to get back to school. What am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I think it speaks to the idea that people are, they're always a little uncomfortable and they're always projecting that on something forward, like externally. So like, you know, people used to say, oh, like, you know, they just want to stay home and chill. People don't want to go out anymore. Just people just want to do Netflix. They just want to like lay low. And then now that they have the time to just do that, they're dying to go out again. You know, <laughs> it's true. It's like all the memes about, you know, just like laying low, like me on a Saturday, just like in bed with a pizza. It's like, now you can do that every day. And they're like, I want to go out. I want to do something. No, I can't. I just like, okay. So you're just, which is it? You know, you're kind of just chasing, chasing something that, uh, you know, to, to make you feel comfortable. Yeah. But I don't know if everybody knows what that is. So I got a ton of projects done around the house. I was talking to Kyle about it, though. What's weird is that uh, I have a pretty productive day. And at the end of the day, I look back at, at it and I'm like, holy crap, I don't think I got anything done. It feels like I did nothing. <laughs> but I know I did a bunch. Yeah. But I'm looking at it going, I didn't even scratch the surface of what I planned on getting done today when I woke up. Like, was it productive? I don't even know. I don't even know anymore. You have you have time. You have time now. So <laughs> nothing but time. Nothing but time. So uh, we're talking about your first record, "Goodbye yeah. Friends of the Heavenly Bodies." So yes, I would say, like a lot of fans of yours, this is where uh, my love affair with your music began. More specifically, with the Grace, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But I found your music quite by accident, actually, while scrolling through iTunes looking for something interesting to listen to. And the title of the record definitely stood out. So I guess we can start there. So so tell us about that title. It's a mouthful. It is. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, Act One, Goodbye Friends of the Heavenly Bodies. This is where everything began in the Never Anyway Lights uh, echelon of legacy. And um, the whole point was to come up with a concept album, which I think most of my fans know 
most of the listeners understand, like we're not dealing with regular, you know, band type stuff. It's not a band, you know, it's not just a, you know, a quick shoot em out of like indie rock or anything like that. Like there's a lot of, there was a lot of preparation and thought behind the concept. So to me, it was like planning a movie mm. and the idea had come to me probably when I was, I don't know, 17, 18 years old. You know, I had been noodling around in notebooks with this idea of building this project that had different singers. So that I've said this before, uh, where I structured it as kind of a movie uh, where you have actors as singers. So the songs are sort of the scenes and you have these different actors acting the scenes out. So I kind of wanted to build the album to represent that. So I came up with this sort of thing about, you know, titling them in acts. So act one, act two, and act three. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, where am I going to begin? So where does the story begin for, for Never Anywhere Light? So it begins with act one. So goodbye, friends of the heavenly bodies. At the time, encapsulated everything that I was fixated on, supernaturally and spiritually. Okay. So... Uh, I don't know if a lot of people understand the title itself, but what I'm trying to say there is goodbye to the angels in the sense that many of us don't believe in them anymore. Um, So when you go throughout history and you read texts from biblical times, there's all these angels and archangels and protectors and guardians, right? Mm -hmm. And then in our modern day, nobody talks about that. You know, you go to school, you, you work, you hang out with your friends. It's just not a lot of people discussing Archangel Gabriel and Archangel Michael and, you know, this this other sort of dimensionality of beings. I'd say that's pretty slim that you're going to have a conversation like that. <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of fascinated with where the idea of, of angels came from in the first place. Because it was like, I grew up with the, the folklore of it. The, the so sort of, you know, some of the paintings and children's Bibles. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I used to have one when I was really little that was, it was terrifying at the same time. It was really intriguing. It was just this large angel figure over these two kids on this wooden bridge. It was like a popular print they used to have. Uh huh. I think like I had the, the same the one. Wood, the wooden frame. Yep. Um, it was weird. It was just, I'm like, where are these people? Do they exist? Do they not? So I, I ended up sort of calling these angels friends of the heavenly bodies. That was just, I didn't want to be completely on their nose and direct and, and title the record, you know, uh, goodbye to the, angels but i was thinking about this dimension where these angels sort of intermingle with planetary bodies that's just how i pictured it in my head you know like they they float around up in space and they're friends with all the beautiful stars and constellations and you know and i'm saying well if we don't believe in them anymore then we're losing touch with that entire realm so it's kind of this detachment from the supernatural so it was kind of the album came to life from this idea of we're just kind of saying goodbye to the angels now because nobody believes in them. We're losing that, you know, aspect of our, of our um, being mm-hmm. like that connectivity to the, to the other world. So that's, that's what the title <laughs> so complicated, but that's what the title <laughs> meant in saying. Um, if we basically to sum it up, if we don't believe in angels anymore, then they won't exist for us because they won't be in our thought or our consciousness. So it was saying good, you know, goodbye to the angels. And the record was going to be a testament to sort of start to reflect on reconnecting with the other realm of things to kind of um, find that, uh, that connectivity again. Cool. So just off the bat, so there's 16 tracks right on the record, which is quite a bit. So that's a lot of information for anyone to cover. 
So we don't necessarily have to do it track by track. That's normally how Kyle and I do it. Cause I want you to have, I want you to have the freedom to tell as many stories about the record as you want or the making of, or what it means and not worry about like a track by track construct. I think there's certain things okay. I want to know about. And I think I'll just interject with questions revolving around that kind of stuff when we get to it. But otherwise I want you to just have at it and, and tell stories about it as you see fit about whatever song I have a, I have a few clips loaded up that if we get to mm -hmm. one of the songs that we're talking about, I got like 30 seconds of a song here and there that we can play just as a, just as a primer. So people know where we're at. But other than that, I just want you to be able to just go nuts and, and, and tell them, tell us about this record. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. So, I mean, act one was the first concept album in what was to be a series of concept albums that would never stop essentially till I die. Uh, act one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and onwards. So uh, I began with this again. The first concept was going to be the first step, and that was basically questioning existence. So sort of a big theme for an album. Sure. Uh, Sixteen songs that um, intertwine together, telling the story of basically why are we here? What are we doing here? And addressing every aspect of how that can be painful, how that can be. Um, how that can change our lives when we don't have the answers, because what are we living for and why do we do the things that we do? Mm -hmm. So like, for example, um, so in the opening track uh, from what I once was, so instantly I'm establishing um, that I was somewhere else because I always had this feeling personally that like I was always trying to remember where I was before I was born. Mm -hmm. And that's something um, I used to express to you know friends and family a lot. It was like, does anybody else not, does anybody else remember where they were? Because I, I think we were somewhere, you know, like you think of, okay, we were born and what's your earliest memory. What about before that? Right. So I was, you know, 11, 12. It's <laughs> dealing with those types of ideas. That's some pretty big ideas for 11 and 12. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I run on the premise that we're, we're all very more evolved than we think all of us. So we all had a very long sort of, you know, ongoing eternal sort of existence and we kind of go and incarnate into different places and play these different roles so like all of us probably has a very rich history of you know being a spirit that we don't remember mm -hmm. and i was just tapping into that so um when i opened the record that was the question from what i once was was where was i before and questioning existence and trying to figure out you know how to live a better life by finding out the answers to why, what we're doing here. The opening line of the album is, would you settle for a wasted life? Which is basically like, would you just live this life from birth to death without knowing who you really are hmm. or why you're here? Because surely life's not just to wake up and go to work, complain about your day, look forward to the weekend and then retire and then get sick and die. I mean, that can't be all there right. is. So to me, that, that was, a way of looking at life is saying, well, why would any of us settle for a life where we didn't explore the true meaning of being here? So you were asking those kind of questions, like you said, around like 12 or 13 years old. Did yeah. you start actually thinking about the music at that point as well? Or was it you had those questions, you had those ideas, and they sort of evolved into the music as time went on? I didn't have any music until I was probably in my early 20s when I started actually writing these songs. The record came out in 2005. I was about 25 years old at the time. 
And I would say it took about five, six years of just demoing different ideas uh, of songs I was writing at the time. But when I was a teenager, I was getting into more alternative rock stuff. So I had a few bands in high school and things that were more just like, you know, Canadian power pop rock or like, you know, <laughs> Nirvana influenced and Pumpkins influenced and stuff. So sure. I wasn't really writing music on this type of a scale in terms of like the more serial stuff. But I was personally asking questions about life. Okay. And religion was there. I mean, I was Catholic, but it didn't seem to make a lot of sense. Like, you know, like the, the ceremony of Catholicism, like, you know, like eating his body and drinking the blood and then the, you know, all the imagery and the, the robes and the rings and the opulence. Mm -hmm. It's just, I was, I was fascinated by it, but I was like, this is just weird. It's weird. Like, does anybody really know why we're following this? Like, no, I you went know, to so, I went to Catholic school, and I don't in in Detroit, and I don't uh, I have no idea what it means or what it's about. And my my dad was a, a permanent deacon in the Catholic Church, and my mom graduated from Sacred Heart Seminary there in Detroit with a degree in theology, and I have no idea what they're talking about. Your mother has a degree in theology. Yeah, she did. It, it's bizarre because it wasn't as strict a, as a, a household as as everyone would imagine. <laughs> with that kind of background, my parents taught. Uh, classes on uh, human sexuality and prayer and all kinds of stuff. And it was very, uh, it was normal for me to be in the house and I, I was surrounded by it all the time, but I was encouraged to like think outside the box and, and really kind of explore religion as long as you come back home and went to mass on Sunday. So, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's tough with religion <laughs> because it's kind of uh, projected on you when you're young. So you like if you're literally baptized before you can speak to me, that's not fair. Correct. You know, not a lot of choice going on there. There's no choice. <laughs> I like, I was baptized. I didn't, I didn't ask to be baptized. Like maybe this isn't the faith I want. So you're forced a lot of times and then you don't want to disappoint people. And you learn that authority knows better than you. And, um, you know, just to sort of follow the rules. So you kind of don't want to question it. And then because religion is sort of based around guilt, uh, <laughs> if you question Jesus when you're 12, you that's really scary stuff. So it takes a lot of, I think, um, confidence and self-work to go against organized religion when you've been raised in it. And that's what I did, um, not because I wanted to rebel, but because I wanted to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I got to um, university, I started taking classes on theology and, and um, punishing, you know, like why good, uh, bad things happen to good people. And, you know, so I wrote a lot of papers about that stuff. And the Christian views were one thing. It was like, okay, you know, like everything's kind of just don't ask too many questions. This is God's way. And it's like, well, I don't know. It's like, really not giving me an answer. <laughs> right. So... I, I took that even further. And so obviously this all spills out into the lyrics for, for act one. So, um, yeah. And then again, you know, with the name, never anyway, like is, is talking about the soul mm -hmm. itself. So, you know, that we're, we're lights that never go out. We're eternal lights in that sense. So it's about the spirit as, of the individual. And I wanted to mention it in that song. So that's why in the course and, um, and all my thoughts wrapped up in never anyway, lights, mm -hmm. you know, so it's like, okay, so, thoughts of our souls, thoughts of our eternal existence, uh, and celestial beings parting ways with me. I'm losing faith in life. So you're seeing essentially my sort of testament to what I was dealing with by really questioning 
what am I doing here? Why am I here? And what's this all about? And like a lot of these songs on the records, like some of these song titles, I mean, like life is a dead scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, track 15. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> it's kind of explanatory right there. <laughs> it's a little bleak. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just kind of like being, I think being over the human experience because I saw it as just boring. Just the idea of, having no spiritual connection because i mean i i didn't when i was young obviously i did and i've discovered that now but people i grew up around so we didn't really talk about this sort of thing and it just seemed people were just interested in just low-key stuff you know like food and booze and sports and you know events and concerts and stuff like good shit but like overall you know is there anything more that we're doing this for so that was kind of the the idea that was floating around so I had to write it all down. I mean, I had to start keeping journals about how I was feeling about being alive. So that's why as you get into the record um, and it evolves into songs like The Grace, now you're, now you're talking about actual like suicide contemplation. Mm-hmm. You know, not to say that I was suicidal at all, but like, is, there, is it okay to not want to be here? Because maybe I want to go back to where I was before. Mm-hmm. So that first song is like walking. It's like opening a door, which I know there's reference on there, but it's walking into a door. You're walking into a completely different world. You kind of have to. Oh yeah. It and and that that's the way it is for me. And and I know the end of the song that you know the deep breath at the very end of it was that mm-hmm. was that by design or was that just one of those moments where you just kind of captured captured it while you were uh, making no. it and just left it in there. <laughs> yeah, everything was or, was organic about that. Uh, so to talk a little bit about the actual like recording of that song, which is really cool. So it was recorded. Uh, in a house uh, where, so there's a piano upstairs and then a little studio downstairs. And um, so you can hear my dog's chains at the beginning of the album. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering what that sound was, but yeah. Okay. That answers that. Yeah. So he was, (laughs) he wanted to be in the room. I was like, okay, well, you know, these microphones are on. And of course, you know, like as soon as I was about to start, he like shook his neck and his collar and his his bells (laughs) round. And I thought, well, this is, this is meant to be because, you know, bells and chimes, you know, they ward off evil, evil spirits. I have a song on that on act two. And, um, it was kind of like an announcement, like ding, ding, here we are, you know, welcome to the show. Welcome to the party. And he took the Liberty. I loved him very much. He took the Liberty of, of opening the album with that bell sound. And then, um, in came the piano. So at the end of the song, I was just breathing a sigh of relief because, you know, you're in this moment of channeling this performance. Mm-hmm. And then out comes a sigh, and then I actually walk out of the living room and then down the stairs. So if you listen closely, you can sort of hear my footsteps going down. And as I'm descending the stairs, track two starts. So you actually hear the beginning drone of Angels and Saints as I'm walking. So I'm literally walking, at least least as I always pictured it, walking into this sort of realm, this abyss, this sort of, okay, I'm going to go into the zone now. And you hear that audibly on the record, so it's sort of transition. And that's the other really special thing about act one is that there's no silence on the record. So from the second you hit play through the full 79 minutes, there's no silence. So every song has a connection and a bridge to the next. Love that. Is that you on vocals on the first track? So that's me on vocals. Uh, okay. You know, I'm not, I don't pride myself on being a singer. I, I was always interested in being a writer and producer. So, um, I loved giving my songs to people because it's just, it's so much more colorful and interesting for me, but I wanted to be there for myself to say, okay, I'm going to start 
you know, let me start this off and then I'll pass the microphone off sort of thing. Sure. So, um, you know, again, with angels and saints, you're continuing on the sort of spiritual sort of song. It's literally about angels and, uh, Chris Gordon from a band called, uh, Deckard named after a character in Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he's from Glasgow, Scotland, super cool indie band. And again, that was the idea was to tap into maybe artists that normally people wouldn't have found to get them heard, mm. you know, cause I loved this guy's record. It's one of those like dollar store CD things you find, mm-hmm. you know, and you end up loving it. And so I got in touch with him and I, um, he had a very heavy Scottish accent. I can barely understand him, but on the record, he's very smooth and beautiful. And uh, the interesting connection with him was that one of my favorite bands of all time, which is a band called Kent, K-E-N-T, um, I believe they're Swedish. Uh, they had an album called Isola, which is, there's a Swedish version and an English version, and it's one of the greatest records of all time. I just, I just love it. Hmm. Uh, and it just so happened that this was the guy that translated the lyrics for that album from oh. Swedish into English. And I, I thought, wow, this is, I guess you'd call it like a synchronicity. I said, uh, he's like, well, I've worked with this band, Kent. I don't know if you're familiar with them. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, you know, I have everything they've ever done. I'm obsessed with that band. And I wanted to get them on the record. He goes, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm really good friends with them. And I translated that record. I was like, oh my God. So for me, I never got to work with Kent, but having Chris from, from that band on the record to me sort of connected this circle for that. And I, I thought it was really special for me personally. So. His, his voice is just, it's so unique. And I just want to point out that I can't picture any other voices singing these songs. Like, it's so weird, but like, I don't know if you slaved over picking the correct song for the correct artist, but the choices are always spot on. Like, I can't, I can't picture another voice doing the song that each one of them is doing. Like, it's, it, that's how. Well, like, you should hear the demos where I sang them then. <laughs> you should be like, no, it doesn't work. Um, Chris's voice is, uh, very high and a lot of listeners thought he was a girl actually because it's so feminine Mm -hmm. um but to me it worked in that song because it was the song was uh breathy it was supposed to be about you know angels and saints and and um floating in darkness and it's sort of this like angelic ghostly type of thing and i think he his voice captures that so he he suits the song perfectly And, and that's the thing i think when people ask how did you pick the singers uh, you know, they work so well. I mean, Dallas Green singing the greats is just, I mean, that's one of the greatest pairings of, of, of a collaborative, you know, song of all time. It's just, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just in terms of what he brought to that song. Uh, how did that happen? You know, when it's, it's, it's serendipitous in the sense that it's destined. So there is no, you know, here's the formula. There is just positive intention when you go to work. You go into your creative space and you know that you're where you need to be right now. How do you know? Because you don't feel resistance. When you go places that you don't want to be, you feel resistance. You're not in alignment with what you're really trying to achieve in life. When I was writing those songs, I was in the zone and I was just able to instantly connect with people that would end up becoming a part of that never ending way like family. Um, Obviously, I put thought into crafting a song for the voice, so I wouldn't give uh, a singer who sang really low a song of the grace, because the grace is like really high and yeah. super soaring vocals, and Dallas has that voice, right? Yep. Um, so, you know, there's got to be a little bit of discernment in the craft at that point, 
But in terms of who ends up showing up to the table, I think is just that's the fate of it. You know, you know, in in, in the case of the Grace, someone gave me a, a demo of Dallas's solo music and said you should really work with this kid. He, his voice is great, and I listened to it and I called him over. I did I did some recording with him for the Sometimes album. Mm-hmm. We did two songs together, and and when the Grace was finished, I was like, wow, this is, I mean. You know, it just, it, it gave me uh, shivers. And that's always the test for me. It's like, you know, I have to have that feeling. I'm like, this is really special. Age of Consent, how that, obviously that's a cover. That's mm-hmm. a, a cover of a New Order song, which is now completely unrecognizable. I used to listen to a lot of New Order back in the day. And this is, uh, no offense to New Order out there, but this is the far superior version of the song. Oh. <laughs> the original is really great. It um, is. No, it is. <laughs> I wasn't familiar with with the song actually at the time and uh i was well i was trying to work with nick hexham from 311 because in my youth i liked them you know they had a couple of decent records they were doing something different and you know i had a, a huge list to start from and i just kind of started seeing you know where where it would take me you know so i i sent nick hexham an instrumental and it wasn't supposed to be Age of Consent. It was just an instrumental. So mm-hmm. if you picture Age of Consent without singing, that's what I sent him. Oh, okay. But without the guitar riff, because the guitar riff is obviously... Right. is obviously Age of Consent, right? Yeah. So I sent him the track, and he called me, and he, he said, you know, I'm on tour with Jay-Z. Um, as you do. And, you know, uh, as you do. <laughs> right? And, I, and I've told the story before, because I'll never forget, I was at the movie, I was seeing the movie Signs, Shyamalan movie, right? Yeah. And uh, Hexum called, and he's like, uh, you know, um, I heard you want me to sing on your record, and I'm freaking out because <laughs> this is a big, big deal for me. Sure. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And he's like, yeah, man. He's like, um, I'm hearing cover. I'm like, okay. He's like, I'm hearing Age of Consent. So again, that's just the way it was supposed to be. Okay. And he recorded it on the tour bus, so you can hear the tour bus in his vocal track, like the engine, which is kind of neat. Oh, I'll now have to listen and, um, more closely. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, so he just said, listen, I'm going to record it. If you're cool with it, let's do a cover of, of Age of Consent because he loves that song. And I got to just rediscover New Order. And um, it came together. It was actually a single. I think it was like the third single from, from the album. I just did um, a... But it's got, it's got a vibe to it. I just did a show with him five or six weeks ago. Actually, it was the show I was involved in right before quarantine. <laughs> Didn't occur to me at that time, though, I, or else I would have had him sign my Act One CD. Oh, with Nick Hexum? <laughs> yeah, with 311. Wow. Yeah, oh, the, 311. They had, 311 had a 311 day out here, so it was yeah, three nights yeah. in a row of, of all of their tracks at, at our theater. And so so I saw him for the for pretty regularly for three days. <laughs> Well, at the time, um, I, I don't know. I, I've told this story before, but it, it, it's kind of really cool because uh, Adam Sandler liked the track. And I That's always good. And he was working on the movie Fifty First Dates with Drew Barrymore. Yeah. And so they wanted a, like a cover of like an '80s song. So Nick sent him Age of Consent. He's like, "It's great." He's like, "But he's like, can you do something? I think he wants something a little more beat." Or didn't they do so Love Song by? The they Cure? did Love Song by The Cure, <laughs> which. Nick always says to me, you know, you're the one who inspired me to do Love Song by The Cure because I was now opening up to, to 80s covers because Age of Consent was so cool. So he thanked me for that. I'm like, okay, well, okay, you know, <laughs> off you go. So that was kind of a neat little connection because 
I went to see that that movie, and I was like, oh, you know, they almost used my song. Fun fact. <laughs> almost. Almost. Yeah, because yeah. your cover choices are pretty unique, especially, like, obviously this one, and, and that's the story behind it, but Miss World from Act 2, which I wouldn't have expected to be on there, but... Oh, I totally got a left field on that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it just made no sense. I, I was asked to cover a song for a, a, a compilation, and I don't know why that came to mind. I must have been listening to the, that whole record. <laughs> and there's also something about taking... Uh, more upbeat, angsty songs and making them really slow. Mm. That's really beautiful. I'd like to do a whole album of that. I actually started, that inspired me to start covering R&B hip hop songs into, so I did, I did actually release a cover of Maneater by uh, Nelly Furtado. Yeah. You know, where her beat is like, you know, Maneater make you up, uh, make, you know, and then mine was like, Maneater make you up. Uh, just like, <laughs> just drawing it right down uh <laughs> making it really sad so i did that with actually i did that with um goodies by sierra and i never released it and um i, I just can't wait to release it because it's it's one of the most depressing songs of all time and it's literally goodies <laughs> <laughs> That's what and uh at the time so i covered it and like dropped the acoustic and like d minor and uh that was the same week i was working with lexi valentine for the act two record. And she's like, Daniel, you, you just, you take these songs and you make them so depressing. <laughs> I was like, I'll take that as a compliment, <laughs> you know, sure, you know, cause not? it's like the meaning of the, of the song goodies is like, I, I bet you want the goodies, but you can't get in the jar kind of thing. She's just playing. But then it's like, I bet you want the goodies. I bet you <laughs> thought about it. And she's just like, you're never going to get it. And it's just like, Oh God, I feel terrible for this guy who's trying to sleep with her now. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So anyway, yeah, the cover song. So I, I like the idea of having a cover on Act 2 because I had a cover on Act 1. But but act, but Age of Consent was not intentional. So, okay. It uh, just sort of happened. And then, um, so again, the record is, it's sanctioned into three uh, movements. So that's the other thing about this concept record, which, okay. um, I, you know, I don't know if, if, if you noticed that, but so you have The Hour Arrives, which is the first section. Then you have second section, which is my angel, my queen, my death, my treasure, mm. which is sort of songs that are a little, little darker, more questioning about like actually wanting to not be here or be here. And then the third section, which is a little bleak, is titled "A Pale Nation Sleeps in Misery." Um, it is a little bleak. <laughs> <I know. laughs> a little bleak. You know, and so you know, I had this vision of the world, um, sort of pale in the sense of kind of being sick, malnourished from lack of light of this sort of spiritual connective light to who they really were. And just the people being detached and lost and just sleeping like that every night, you know, just far away from any sort of understanding of who they really are. And that, that's how I saw it. So, so the album sort of, um, it has those three sections to kind of chop it up because again, there, I mean, it is a 16 track endeavor, so it's pretty long. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, so ending of a story again is, is just talking about what kind of story do you want in your life? How do you want that ending to go? Return of Lives is about an alien ET abduction oh. um, where, where the male in the story gets abducted and he's asking and hoping that his life will get back to normal, you know, because he's had this crazy experience. There's that line, um, thing, you know, that line in there, my savior complains that he wants more love. I'm out of love. And I'm like, yes. well, damn. 
<laughs> well, you know what that's about. What? Um, that, that particular line. Uh, again, that's speaking about the religious aspect of it. Yeah. Talking about how you can never be enough for Catholicism. Correct. So <laughs> why would you have a savior that's complaining about, you know, you can't do this right. You can't do that right. You always have to feel like you're inferior, always in sin. So it's just like, how could, why would your savior complain about you if he created you? Right. Why, why would he constantly need that uh, reassurance that you're worshiping yes. him? Like, hey. We, <laughs> that's precisely it. You, he wouldn't. Because he's God. Yeah. He wouldn't need you to do that, right? He would work with you. So um, my Savior complains that he wants more love, and then I'm out of love. It's like, I can't do this anymore. I can't just keep worshiping outside of myself somebody like who's just constantly saying nothing's ever good enough. Because the second you're born, you're literally born into sin. So you're already messed up. Yeah, I'm already, I'm already mm-hmm. behind the eight ball here. <laughs> yeah, you don't even get a chance, you know? And it's like, well... You know, the fall of man, and this is just now man is sinful. I'm like, yeah, but I like, I it wasn't me, I wasn't there. Yeah, you know, I'm already that. being held accountable. <laughs> so it was, it's just a sort of reflection on that, and uh, a sort of a, a supernatural experience with an alien. But uh, again, aliens, other beings, you know, it's that whole sort of other dimension, angels, saints. It's like just opening up dialogue in songs about, you know, not the traditional like you know, skateboards and heartbreaks and, you know, the normal stuff you'd write about when you're 21. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, uh, uh, Judah, Judah Nagler. So yeah, Judah Nagler is from a band called the, uh, the Velveteen. And, uh, if you haven't checked them out, they're incredible. They, they put out a record early on in their career called out of the fierce parade, which was kind of like a Jeff Buckley thing with his vocals. Mm-hmm. Uh, with some indie rock influence and they still make records and they're still one of, in my opinion, one of the greatest bands out there. Hmm. Um, so any part of their catalog is absolutely delicious. Like they're just fantastic. Not, they don't have a huge, huge following, but you know, they still tour once in a while. They're from Santa Rosa, California, I think. But yeah. So again, you know, I had a wish list of different artists from indie bands that were just personal favorites. So I, I sent uh, Judah two songs. One was a piano ballad and one was this. And I said, do you want the piano ballad or do you want the weird one? He's like, I want the weird one. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. And um, I, these are my lyrics in my melody. Okay. So he, he just sang what I sent him. In some cases, uh, I just send the instrumentals and then they kind of do their own write whatever they want. Melody. And in some cases, I have songs that I've, I'm kind of married to the melody. So I'm like, you know, this is where I'm taking it. Um, a, a good example of the straight collaboration would be with I Hope Your Heart Runs Empty Oof. with Scott Anderson from Finger Eleven. Now, okay, so this song, this is where I hovered for a while. So <laughs> I get I get destroyed by this song every time I hear it. Seriously, I walking my dog, just listening to it in the studio, just hanging out every single time. It is without a doubt. Uh, <laughs> it's without a doubt my favorite song on this record, maybe my favorite of yours other although uh black is the color of my true love's heart might give it a run for its money so one of those two um and uh here's a little piece of it right here if all the
every single time. <laughs> and when I first used, this is just my opinion. So when I first used to listen to it, it felt like a really super depressing song every time I listened to it. And then the more I listened to it, this might not be what you intended, but to me, it's a total love song. It's like, I hope you feel what I feel. I hope your heart completely empties for me the way mine is emptied for you and how much I realize that I needed you to see what you mean to me that's such a great freaking song telling you well every time. thank you and and that's and i got to thank scott for for writing the lyrics on that one um that's what we aim to do is devastate you that's the that's the point <laughs> if it breaks you that's what we want to do for me that's the best part of being alive is emotional sensation so like whatever extreme emotion you can feel whether it's happiness laughter joy you know watching a comedy or watching a, a great art film or something that's really just sad wherever emotion takes you i think it's just fun to be uh, to feel those emotions so uh this song definitely goes there and so i sent him like a really long instrumental and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds right mm -hmm. so there's that underlying beat that's like cha -cha 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 -cha. And it's always there, but you kind of don't know know that it's there. So it's like by the end of the song, it's the whole orchestra is doing it with strings and drums and and it climaxes. So it's kind of an unconventional composition because there's two courses in it, but the verses kind of just do their own thing. And then it, there's this beautiful climax at the end. And that's just the result of two people coming together blindly. Like I wasn't in the room with him. So I don't know where he went mentally mm. to, to channel there. But I know as a person, Scott has a lot of, he's very inspired. He listens to a lot of great music. And I, I know that he's, you know, gone through some heartache. And um, so he really went to a really special place to pull these, these lyrics out of. Yeah. Um, so when he sent it, I heard it. And you imagine me listening to, to it for the first time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just floored because it was so perfect for the record. And I knew it would be a high point. That's why I placed it in the middle because it, it, it's really a climax point on the album. And I, you know, I, I'm worried that people don't have the patience to sit through a song that's a little long and it takes time to unfold. But you can't, you can't tell this story or get this sort of emotional uh, outpouring any other way. Like it, it needs to take its time and be delicate. And I think, personally speaking, where I've gone musically on my future records to go and reflect back to where I was in this for this album is that I ended up being less patient myself, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you listen to act three, it's kind of just kind of kicking you over the head. I mean, that was just me reacting to having so much slow music in my catalog. I just wanted to go and, you know, shake it up a bit, sure. but I, I, I can sense why some of my fans didn't like act three as much as act one. Cause my, first initial listeners this was the zone mm -hmm. so we're talking like slow and patience and you know something you put on late at night when you just want to get in that zone this isn't a party record nope <laughs> so when you fast forward to act three you know it's like i have songs that are like falling apart and starlight and they're just like really more the urgent rock alternative songs and it's just something i wanted to explore at the time i don't regret it. I, I love that album but um, this album just had so much attention to detail and nuance and so much thought. And it's, it's really a result as I reflect on it now of being totally swept up into this 
the idea of creating something um, that would be my legacy, something I would, you know, a big, great art piece that I would make and not for the sake of what other people want at all, but only for the sake of what I want, you know? Um, and that's why I say uh, to friends, you know, talk about making music and not making music, don't make music for other people, make music for you. Because when this record was finished, that was it for me. I, di I didn't, didn't have to sell anything. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I put all this together. I'm just going to listen to this by myself in my room and, and just be like, yes. And maybe one or two people will get it and like it. Like I thought, like, who's going to, this is so, such a personal record for me on so many levels, like just the spirituality of it and, you know, the nuances of all the instrumentation. It didn't have a band. So I had to go in there and come up with every, you know, instrument and every, and, and I'm stitching it together because then I have a budget to, to work on it. Right. Sure. I had to have friends come over and help me record it. Um, <laughs> but it was just so personal. I thought, well, who's going to, who's going to be into this, you know? And, um, you know, ended up being a, a gold record, you know, and it ended up being my biggest selling album. So I think that's a testament to always just not giving a, a shit what anyone thinks and just doing what, what you love, because that's where the good stuff's going to happen. Exactly. A little piece. Yeah. So, so I'm, um, I'm confused about this one because I was doing research for the record, kind of like going through the songwriters and stuff. This, for some reason, this lists the songwriters in many places, like uh, a band camp, maybe? No, a couple other couple places as Catherine Kennicott Davis and Henry Orlanti, who also, they also wrote Little Drummer Boy, the original Little Drummer Boy song. Is that right? Oh, no. Okay. okay. <laughs> I've never even heard of that. Good. It, Maybe they collected all my royalties. Maybe that's what happened. I saw it in four different places. I can. Oh. I'll send it to you so Are you know. Are you kidding? Yeah. Oh my god. I feel like that's an uh, algorithm thing. Yeah, that, I'm a, like, that's why? A computer screwing up. Why somewhere. is this here everywhere? And I'm like, wait a second. So I, I was researching. I'm like, these guys have been dead for a hundred years. <laughs> well, I channeled them from the dead. That's what we try yeah. to do here. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> good. I'll send you a list so you can uh, you can track those down and get that corrected. Awesome. <laughs> no, definitely not written by the drummer boy people. This was written. Uh, this is the only song I think on the record that I didn't write myself. Actually, no, one of two. So um, I was a big fan of this indie band called Super Garage, um, Ontario band. Uh, sort of not very popular. I saw much music a couple times. Our video station over here, and uh, he just had a great mel melodic sensibility. Like the melodies in his songs were really awesome. He had a cool voice. So he was on my list too. And um, I was able to get to meet him in London, Ontario after a concert he played at a venue called Call the Office. It was like a legendary Canadian venue. Mm. Met him and uh, asked him to come over for a couple nights and write. Like, so so th that's the thing with the records is you have all these different sort of entry points of collaboration. You know, sometimes you're sending instrumental songs. Sometimes you write the song and send it away. Sometimes they come in the studio and you write from scratch. Sometimes it's a cover song, you know. So with Marco from Super Garage singing on the song, it was an idea he had. And I had presented him a couple ideas and he just, he wasn't feeling for him. Hmm. So it was just sort of an honest thing. He's like, oh, I don't know if that's me. I said, okay, what do you have? Do you have anything uh, somber, something in a minor key, something, you know? So he had this song called A Little Piece, and he played it for me. And um, I thought it was perfect. So I said, so he played it on acoustic guitar, and I said, okay, we, we, we can't do a version of, like, that's just straight 
acoustic because I wasn't feeling that production. This album was all about just ethereal, atmospheric, unique uh, instrumentation ideas. So I took this song, he laid down on acoustic, and then I just redid it all with like, I think Rhodes keyboards, uh, like guitar effects, drum programming. Um, and actually the drums on that song were programmed by a guy named Steve Barry from a band called Cirrus, C-I-R-R-U-S, who's an electronica band mm. um, that I used to listen to on road trips just to drive long hours and keep myself pumped up. So I went to his house in California and watched him program the drums on that song, which is like really weird. And um, <laughs> never saw him again, never talked to him again. So, so you have a sort of a three-way collaboration on that song, which is really neat. So I did the instrumentation. We had this guy from California on the drums, and then Marco did the lyrics and the melody. And um, I thought it fit the record great. It was a really good time. That's a great song, but not written by the people that wrote Little Drummer Boy. Not written by the people that wrote Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, it, it, it to me it fits well on the album where it is. And again, sequencing a monolith like this was was crazy because yeah. how do you fit 16 songs where it flows? You know, that's a good question. You, know, obviously yeah. you, can't, you can't start the album with the grace. You can't start the album with Life is a Dead Scene or Our Final Hymn. You know, you can't just jump into Age of Consent. It's like, so as a big fan of album sequencing, like when you listen to Pink Floyd, uh, Dark Side of the Moon, or when you listen to OK Computer, mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of thought put in. And the albums would all be so different in the in a different order, even though they're the same song. Just, yeah, it would sure. just tell a different story, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I everything was placed where it was supposed to be placed. I put a lot of time into that. So, uh, But then uh, the track to follow it, again, and it, it leads right into it, which is The Longing, uh, that became a fan favorite. And my um, I have a Greek next-door neighbor, and he's a really good friend of mine, he's, like 73 i think and that's his favorite song and once in a while he comes over and i'll play and he just cries you know he's drinking his greek uzo you know <laughs> and he's just like and his eyes tear up and he's like every time you get me with that song and it just it makes me think of the power that certain melodies and music has you know lyrics and because it makes people think of their own personal subjective relationship to it definitely you know? Well, and I sound like a broken record, but it's another wonderful, just beautiful song. And, you know, there's this point in the song where um, they just kind of hangs there for a second, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Right before the word away, just hang yeah. before the whole song kicks in. And that that moment of anticipation right there in the song, every time, even though I know it's coming, I'm just like waiting, just waiting, <laughs> just waiting. Here it comes. And then the whole thing <laughs> kicks in and it's like, it's it's so beautiful. I just love it. Thank you. So is that yeah, is has, that a string section? Is that a or is that uh is that on the keyboard? It opens that's a that's a keyboard uh patch, one of my favorite ones. I use it on all the Never Ring Light songs. It's yeah. got that string sound. Sounds real, but it's very cinematic. So um I'm a huge fan of like keyboard pads and keyboard strings. So anytime I listen to a rock record where there's like strings on it, I'm just instantly transfixed. Like I love it. So I try to just almost make a band out of that so basically every almost everything i write starts with a like a string pad like that on a keyboard you know that's like my go-to thing so that that song came out of you know that straight up sort of string patch and then i called in uh, danny greaves from a band called the watchman uh very popular canadian band like 90s now they're back together 
And they were hugely influenced by REM. And I would love to work with Michael Stipe. I never got a chance to, but right. um, working with Danny Greaves was, was a lot of fun. And we had a lot of similar influences. And again, I kind of grew up listening to him. So uh, it was a treat. He understood what I was trying to accomplish with the song. Um, I wrote the, the lyrics to this one. Okay. And, uh, you know, again, another day spent in a broken shell, uh, talking about demons, talking about angels. Uh, hey, you in the dark. Mm-hmm. You know, it's time to wake up. It's time to waken. And um, this life was meant to take from your breath, you know, meaning that the way that we're living life, being disconnected from our true purpose, literally killed us. Like we're, we're just running the clock to extinction that way because we're not finding completion, wholeness, unity, and fulfillment by knowing who we are. So it, so we're living this life. And it's, like, it's like making you sick every day. You're one day closer to dying. Every day. Every second, you're one day closer to illness. So literally, life is designed to just pull that breath from you. Mm-hmm. And then you're 100 and you're you know, on a respirator and off you go. So, you know, it's a bleak sort of idea, but, you know, there's a truth to it. And again, you have to understand this is supposed to be bleak because this is a low point in my life in terms of questioning reality and, and, and why I'm here. So this is my story for that. It's not supposed to be fucking, you know, happy and, you know... It's just, this is where I was. So I seem so empty again from, you know, it's just disconnection and unfulfillment to why I'm here. And, and the endless line goes on. And I've always considered titling how I feel as a longing my whole life. Hmm. I don't know if anyone else goes through this. I remember Katie Lang's constant craving because I thought this like, this just that this constant craving for something, but I had this, this endless longing for something I didn't know what it was, but I never felt comfortable. It's like there's always something I have to do, but nothing ever cured it. Then I wonder, maybe I can ask you guys if you've you've had that sort of experience because, you know, it's just like, okay, you you get on with your day and your life, but like, is everything cool? Like, are you just, that's it? Or are you feeling like there's just, I'm kind of longing for something. I don't know what it is. Like, almost like a hunger. I think that everybody goes that through that. Does that make sense at all? It does, yeah. I think everybody goes through that. They go through that search for purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're trying to figure out, like, okay, like like you said, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, and, and I think that's one of the things, I think one of the reasons why organized religion exists is because they they can give you answers to that. Yeah. Um, you know, 100%. whether whether they're good answers or not is up to personal interpretation, obviously. But um, I think that that's why they exist. They can give you an answer. They can say, well, you're here to live a good life so you can, you know, mm-hmm. move on to the afterlife or, or, you know, you're here to, you know, serve some purpose for God or whatever. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think that that's definitely, a, it's a, it's a universal uh, mm-hmm. theme. I think almost everybody experiences so that. Too. Now, whether or not anybody, acknowledges they experience that or actively yeah. knows that they experience no. it. I think that it's, um, it is one of those things that we, we experience it more when we hit our peaks and valleys, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like when we're at our, mm-hmm. our, our absolute best, you know, the, the best moments in our life when, you know, our children are born or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when we're getting married or, or, you know, the, the best moments in our life and the worst moments in our life when somebody that we love has passed away or, you know, we're going through something really terrible or there's some kind of personal tragedy happening. I think those are the moments where people sort of open themselves up and say, what am I actually doing here? 
you know, when when you're going through the day to day stuff, when you you know you get up and shower and you go to work, well, and, yeah, you're in a routine. Right? Exactly, so. you don't think about it, but when you experience some kind of a deviation from that, I think that's when it shows up. At least for me, I don't know. Maybe everybody else has a different experience, but well, once you allow your brain to slow down a little bit, yeah, uh, taken out of the routine, like I don't know, for instance, now, yeah. During a global yeah, crisis. Yeah, now would definitely be a time for, I think, a lot of humanity to start reflecting on, you know, they're just their state of being because yeah. they have time now. And I think they yeah. are to some degree. And I'm like a lot of people that I know are really going through some heavy depression stuff. And mm -hmm. I think that's probably yeah. why is because they're and able to good. do a self-assessment and go, oh, my gosh, this isn't what I this isn't do. what I want to do. Like, well, I, how do you, that's, that's the idea is how do you feel being just with yourself? Yeah. The people that are going stir crazy because, you know, they've never been alone with their thoughts because there was always school and work and jobs right. and stuff to do. Now they're having that depression and that, that issue, but it's good that it's coming to the surface because then they can get through it. Yeah. We hope. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's <laughs> essentially part of, of the process of, of life so what happens when you're too busy is you're not growing yeah you're just you're you're in a hamster wheel and that's kind of the way mainstream you know society kind of pushes you to that's what it pushes you to believe in and you're just you know you're always trying to make enough to get by mm -hmm. pay the bills right you're always going to be in debt it's they it, it's it's impossible not to be this is rigged so you're stuck in that system and so your, your day is just your job yeah, or your family, but where are you? Because you're not your job and you're not your family. You're something completely different. Like you're this individualized expression of infinite awareness, right? Not to get completely esoteric here, but like <laughs> no, you was, are, that was beautiful. Yeah. you are in this body as a vehicle, an avatar, you know, get into the, your avatar's suit and off you go. And yet you live this personality that's not really even your personality because you were told what life was about when you were little. Oh, we, we, we go to work and we make money and then we trade money for stuff. And then you have kids and you get married when you're this age. And then you do, it's like, okay, what am I doing then? Oh, you have a little flexibility. You can kind of choose what clothes you wear and car you drive and where you want to work. <laughs> like, oh, that's it. Yeah. That's so it. when you, when you step back and you really see that you're light, you're this eternal light, this never ending light, right? You're 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 an you're a present moment individualized expression of infinite awareness, of infinite consciousness. Hmm. So you're everything, right? And we don't have time to figure that out because we're forced into a system that doesn't give us the opportunity to. So it's nobody's fault. This is part of what awakening is. It's nobody's fault that, you know, people are frustrated and they don't understand why they're frustrated and they're depressed, they don't understand why they're depressed. It's because you've been in this closed circuit. Yeah. You've been on this hamster wheel. 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, and of course you're going to, you're not, you're, like, you're not supposed to be doing that, okay? So there's there's a reason that happened. That's a whole nother topic, right? There's a reason <laughs> that's happened. It's it's generational, it's passed down from generations and it's, it's, a, it's just an idea. and you know, the, where, the way North America was built on, you know, industrial revolution and, you know, factories and, you know, breeding people to work and make money for the, the economy. It's all, that's just 
one thing, mm -hmm. but it's what everybody taught us, most of us now. And you have to break away from that to find who you are. But when you do that, people either call you crazy or, you know, don't, don't accept you because you're going against the status quo. You're going against the norm. Yeah. Don't buck the you system, so, man. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, I, and I've said this before, like I, I'll tell everyone to quit their job. I'll tell everybody like a hundred fucking percent. And I, and they laugh at me, you know, I told my girlfriend too, and my friends got angry. So you're going to ruin her life. So no, I'm not because she needs to go do what she wants to do. She needs to go do what she wants to do because she's not happy doing what she doesn't want to do. Just because you validated doing what you don't like, don't let other people do that because you're, you're perpetuating the same issue. Mm. And then you're gonna, it's going to result in an ulcer, an alcoholic problem, or you're going to be sick one day and you're, or your life's just going to pass you by. I think, well, where did I go and do my own thing? Yep. Yeah. And then, then you're going to be like, I am allowed to retire now. I reached an age that they said I yeah. could retire. It's the most ridiculous <laughs> thing I've ever heard. When you're old. Yeah. And now, now you can't now enjoy you can, it. If one in three of you don't have cancer, now you can go and do like at, at 75. Yeah. Where are you going to go? Like, you know what I mean? It's a, like, it's, 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 it's been done on purpose. And I, I try to help people just loosen up with the, with the old like paradigms of like, Oh no, everything's this and it's structure. It's structure. It's like, don't be afraid to take a chance. And, uh, <laughs> Just, you know, you know, it's like my, my girlfriend initially, you know, she wanted to become a poet and a writer. And then she, and then she went into uh, like flower essence therapy. And, stuff. and people are rolling their eyes. And I just like, it blows my mind. And when I wanted to get into music, everyone was like, you can't write depressing music. Like you can't go, you know, no one's going to buy this stuff. Yeah. How are you going to you know, make money, collecting. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm, but I'm, then I'm, the irony is I'm collecting and making more money at the time, at least, than they are, and doing well with all these awards and stuff, and influencing people. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, when you follow your heart and you don't listen to what everyone thinks is best for you, you 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 fly, you soar, you know. And the person I am today, from Act One, okay, completely different person. Act One was an expression of all these ideas, questioning, question, because, you know, I was young. I was just out of high school, university, and I learned all bullshit from people. Mm -hmm. We all did. Mm -hmm. yeah. The world was all just like, you know, the structured, structuralized idea of something and rules, and you got to, you know, adhere to everything, and this is the way it is. And it's like, ah, it doesn't resonate with me, so I'm going to go this way. And um, even if I failed even though you can't fail because you're your own judge. But even if I didn't sell one copy, I enjoyed the experience of making this album. So I'm richer personally because I'm, I, this album right here, Act One, felt good to me to make. I had fun making it. So even if I didn't sell, what, like, what, there's a big difference between that and then going to work, doing something I don't like, and then just cashing a check. Right. And I'm just going to use a check to cash it to put food in my body so I can go back to work again. So you can go back to work, exactly. No, there's no point in that. I'd rather, honestly, and I've said this before, and to my father's dismay, but like I would rather, it's a starving artist thing, right? I'd rather be poor doing what I love than rich doing what I don't like. And that's individually up to everyone to do their own thing. There's no right or wrong here. It's a sandbox for you. So that's just my little idea. But when people see you doing that, they subconsciously know they want to do that. So they get angry at you through what's like a projection you know, it's like, oh, yeah, right. This guy is such a dreamer. He's this or it's like, that's not the real world. It's like, well, What is the real world? Right. What you do, 
It's like, there's no, it's not what I do. It's whatever you want to do personally. It's a subjective experience, but people get angry at everybody else because everyone knows this is not like, there's something wrong out there. We shouldn't be struggling to survive in a world that is full of abundance. So it doesn't make any sense. There's money, money. They make money on machines. Yeah. Why are you poor? It's ridiculous. So what happens is you get stuck in, into this hamster wheel because we've all been tricked into it. Okay. And you miss out on your spiritual connection. You miss out on what this album sort of was trying to express, like the reflection and the longing. And why, why am I really searching for purpose? What, what am I unfulfilled by? Like all the existential questions that people actually laugh at you. If you say, I'm going to find myself right. Cause they turn it into a joke. That's what culture does. Um, we haven't had a chance to go and do what I did on this record because you go straight to work. You have to go against the system to do that. I had to go against the system to do that. But the only way act one existed, I had to go against my family just flat out and be ridiculed for it. <laughs> and I love my family and they've come around, but it was literally, and I've told that story many times and it's, it's true. And my mother and I can laugh about it now, but she's, you can't go and do this. You have to go like there's this factory work for you. Mm. Like, don't be, don't be stupid. go, get in at the factory and go make the money. Well, yeah, you probably had the same questions growing up that, that I did as, as a kid, what are you going to do with your life? What are you, what are you going to do? What, what are you going to major in? What are you going to, what are you going to yeah. focus on? I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know yet. Like I, I'm trying to figure out who the hell I am first. <laughs> and the best part is nobody can answer that for you. Yeah. No one can judge you for your decision. Well, and they all try to though. Nothing- Oh, I know because it's, it's, it's perpetually taught generationally. Like just, it's just the same thing. It's like, you have to be the one to break that cycle in your family. You have to be the one to say, no, mm. there's in literally when you get to that point, there's nothing to do. When you understand life from that perspective, there's nothing to do because there's no authority to answer to anywhere. Like besides basic needs. Okay. I'm talking about like, this is after food and water and shelter, which everybody has in one way or another. Sure. Okay. So once you're at that level, where do you go? You're not forced to do anything, but you may validate a reason for doing what you don't like and then continuing to do it. You know, um, life's not easy though. We may be called to be teachers or, or lawyers or um, nurses and stuff like that. And you're going to have like long, tough days on the job. It was tough for me to make this record. Like life's not easy in anything you do, right? but it's just kind of how you, how you work through and deal with that. But when you're too busy to take the time to figure out what you really want, because life and society aren't allowing you to, that's where I try to encourage people to, to self-reflect and don't be afraid to look themselves in the mirror saying, is this the life I want? Or is this the life I just agreed to based on what other people told me life was supposed to be? That's a powerful statement. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a pause right here. Um, feel like we're going to need to break this episode up into two parts because there's so much information and we don't want to shortchange it and take anything out. So we're going to stop. And uh, Kyle has some websites and some info for you. Yeah. So uh, obviously we've been talking to Daniel Victor. Uh, if you want to get in touch with him, his website is uh, IamNeverEnding.com. Uh, there's some merch on there. You can buy the albums. Go and uh, give him some support. Uh, you can also get in touch with him, uh, Facebook.com forward slash NeverEndingWhiteLights. Instagram uh, at NeverEndingWhiteLights and Twitter. He is uh, I am NeverEnding. He's pre- been pretty active on all of those recently. I've noticed. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you do want to get in touch with him, please do. You can get a hold of us at info at audiojudo.com. 
or our website, audiojudo.com, or Facebook forward slash audiojudo, uh, Twitter at audiojudo, Instagram at audiojudo. Yeah. Uh, the good news is we're hoping we're hoping we can do the second half of this just next week. So it won't be a two week pause in between these two. If we left you on a cliffhanger, I hope that Randy cut it so that he's Daniel Victor's like, you know, the secret to life is and then just cut to this. I hope that's exactly what happened. That's I wrote that down. Yeah, OK, cool. Yeah, please, Randy, give a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, look forward to that next week and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Bye. My name is Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dem One. And I'm Nate LeBlanc. And we are two-thirds of the crew that hosts the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Our third co-host is internationally acclaimed hip-hop writer David Ma. As the name of the show suggests, Dad Bod Rap Pod is a podcast where men of a certain age discuss, debate, and dissect rap music. While we are somewhat classicist in our tastes and grew up listening to hip-hop from the 80s until now, we are also interested in the music's present and future. Over the past 115 episodes, we have interviewed rap legends like Prince Paul, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, Roxanne Shante, Cool Keith, DJ Premier, and even the proto-rap group The Last Poets, just to name a few. We also make it a point to talk to writers, commentators, and creatives shaping the genre. We've interviewed journalists and best-selling authors like Nathaniel Friedman, Jeff Weiss, Hanif Abdul-Rakib, and Adam Mansback. And as Nate mentioned, even though we are products of the 80s, 90s, we take time out to talk to some of the most important voices in rap today. Groups and individuals like Little Brother, Open Mike Eagle, Billy Woods, and Rap Ferreira. If you don't recognize any of those names, that's okay, because what we love most on this podcast is to introduce old school fans of rap music to new music that we know you will love. New episodes every week on Thursday. We are the Dad Bod Rap Pod. At the Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 